Yeah, yeah. Ball so hard, you better believe me, it's scary. It's basketball, let the ball with Calvin and Barry. So put a tip in the jar, cause these dudes can really fill it up. Whether it's buckets, you need enough just a beer in a cup. We're here, for fresh conversations, got some delicious libations. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notifications. My boys, got you covered like you being guarded by pay. From the glove to the cloth, and everyone else in between. Calvin and Barry got everything that you need. So sit back, relax, because we're starting the show. It's basketball at the bar, grab your drinks and let's go. Yeah, yeah. Grab a drink and let's go. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Subscribe to the channel and turn on the notification. Let's get it. What up, ballers? Welcome to Basketball at the Bar. Join us live every weekday for the best NBA podcast here on YouTube, where the takes are hot and the drinks are cold. There's no dress code, and you can take us wherever you go. So pull up a stool, drop a like, and don't forget to subscribe. This is Basketball at the Bar. Grab your drinks, and let's go, Calvin. Let's go. Happy Welcome Monday, back. everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back. We had a nice uh, three-day weekend here at Basketball at the Bar. Uh, it was a little bit of a rough weekend, but it's okay. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. <laughs> On today's show, we have a lot of action for you guys. We have injury updates. We have a re- weekend recap. There's only two games on uh, Sunday, but we had a game on Friday. And we talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves going fishing. And then we break down both games today. Before we end the show, as always, with q and want to give a quick shout-out to Flame Flurry 11 What's up, dude? Yeah, no live on Friday. Unfortunately, uh, we had a little COVID outbreak here at the bar. So Calvin and I have been uh, under the weather. And uh, it's okay. We're still under the weather a little bit, but we're here. We're going to try and do the best show we can today. And uh, hope you guys hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, it's good to be back. Good to be talking about basketball and not worrying about illness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's unfortunate timing. But there's a lot of illness going around the league, too, which we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate timing is I had a wedding uh, to attend that I was actually supposed to be in this weekend, end up missing that. Calvin is supposed to be at a wedding this week. I'm which, supposed to be on a plane in eight hours, which is not going to happen. Which he is he is missing. Um, yeah, <clears throat> both uh, COVID positive and positive for this podcast. So <laughs> here we go, here Calvin. We Let's do it. Yeah. Well, first of all, while we were gone, of course, on Friday, the, the Memphis Grizzlies eliminated the Minnesota Timberwolves. So congratulations to Memphis moving on. They've already played game one on Sunday against the Warriors, which we'll get to. Uh, for Minnesota, it was a, a pretty good season, I'd have to say, all things considered. Not many people expected them to be in the position that they were in. Anthony Edwards had another 30-point performance in game six. Uh, so the future is bright in Minnesota. But let's get you guys caught up on the injury report because there is a lot to talk about, particularly in the Miami-Philadelphia series. But uh, we'll start with Marcus Smart. He, I'm a little, uh, I'm questionable about this injury because he left the game with what appeared to be a right shoulder injury. Uh, He immediately exited the game, went straight to the locker room. He's listed as questionable for game two, but it's with a quad injury. So I'm I'm not sure what happened there. I guess the shoulder ended up being okay, but he he ended up tweaking his quad instead. It's the Donovan Mitchell thing all over again, right? (laughs) Yeah. So on to this Miami-Philadelphia series. Everybody knows about Joel Embiid, uh, mild concussion, orbital fracture, Uh, from the hit, the elbow uh, to his face by Pascal Siakam in Game 6 when they were up, I believe it was 29 points with four minutes to go in the game. Still don't know why he was in that game at that moment, but that's a different topic for another day. (laughs) He did not travel with the team to Miami. He will not play in Games 1 and 2. They are confident that he will be ready to go when the series returns to Philadelphia for Game 3. This is definitely something that he can play with. He's played with this exact injury in the past. He will probably wear a mask, um, Mm -hmm. and we'll see how it affects him moving forward. It's more of a pain management thing than anything else. Now on to Miami. They have a ton of players listed as out or questionable for Game 1 today. Tyler Hero, questionable with an illness. Caleb Martin, questionable with an ankle. Markeith Morris, questionable with a non-COVID illness. Don't ask me what the difference between his and Tyler Hero's illnesses are. I do not know. P.J. Tucker, questionable with a calf injury. 
Uh, Max Struess questionable with a hamstring. Kyle Lowry out for game one with his hamstring injury continuing to bother him. And Jimmy Butler is questionable with a knee injury that caused him to miss game five of the Hawks series. So if you got money on this game one, pay close attention to the injury report, the game time decisions. I assume a bunch of these guys are going to end up playing. P.J. Tucker, we saw him play uh, despite the injury in game five against Atlanta. These uh, illnesses, I think, are the big question marks, and will Jimmy Butler decide to give it a go, or do they choose to give him more rest knowing that Joel Embiid is not going to play either? And then finally, we have Steven Adams is out with COVID for the Memphis Grizzlies. He missed game one, and Andrea Godala is still dealing with the neck injury that he suffered in their first-round series. He will be reevaluated in a couple of days. Wow, Barry, I feel for uh, Adrian Wojnarowski and all these guys because that was a lot to get through. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a lot. Um, you know, bottom line, the Sixers need uh, James Harden to be the James Harden of old and step up while Embiid is out. And as you mentioned, there are injuries all over the league right now, uh, hamstrings, knees, calves, uh, and toes, right? Yes. However the, the rhyme goes. And then also some people out due to illnesses, which is uh, – Unfortunate. First off, Calvin, I want to start the show. Let's let's just talk a little bit since, you know, we weren't here on Friday. There was still a game Friday night. We watched it. It was a rough game for me to watch. Um, I was dealing with some dizziness and some blurriness, but I had a I still enjoyed watching the game. And, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit about it. So first off here, the Grizzlies defeat the Timberwolves 114-106. Anthony Edwards, 30 more points in this game after the defensive uh, breakdown in the game before. You know, the dude has been incredible. I know this is only his second year in the league, but he's really shown people what he can do. A lot of flashes of greatness. Unfortunately, there are times, you know, uh, know, that every young player has where they make mistakes on the defensive end of the floor. But another amazing game for him. Carl Anthony Towns, only 18 points in this game, 10 rebounds, 4 assists, a steal, a block. Um, Patrick Beverly fouled out in this game in 38 minutes. And then Jaden McDaniels, 24 huge points off the bench. But Memphis was just too much for Minnesota. I am so happy I'm not going to have to say Minnesota and Memphis over and over (laughs) and over again at this point. Amazing game for Jaron Jackson Jr., another tongue twister there, 18 points, 14 rebounds, assist, a steal, two blocks. Amazing game for him. Dylan Brooks fouls out in this game with 23 points in 32 minutes. Desmond Bain, 23 points, and John Moran, only 17 points, 11 assists, 8 rebounds in this game, 5 turnovers. Uh, Another game. A good game to watch. A great season by the Minnesota Timberwolves. I think they've gotten a lot further uh, than many people would have imagined. But they were facing a really good Memphis team uh, without Steven Adams um, due to now he's out due to COVID, but he was benched due to the matchups. I like this Memphis team a lot. Um, I know you and I had both picked them to win this series in six games, which nailed it. Exactly what's happening here. But what, what were your thoughts on this game? Well, this was a, a really, really entertaining series, just as we all thought it would be going into it. And it, it comes down to, you heard Anthony Edwards talk about it in his post-game press conference after they were eliminated. It, it came down to experience. Even though Memphis is not an experienced playoff team, they do have more experience than the Timberwolves do. And it was on display in this series. It, you, you have to applaud Anthony Edwards for his effort, especially, like you mentioned, coming off of that um, really disappointing defensive play at the end of Game 5 where he let John Morant get right to the bucket for a game-winning layup. He responds with 30 points in this game. He had 20 at halftime. I thought he was locked in defensively. Minnesota's going to be fine. They've got an incredible amount of young talent on this team. Jaden McDaniels, as you mentioned, a career-high, not just playoff career-high, but a career-high 24 points for him. He could not miss. But it comes. this series for me came down to crunch time, execution, and second-chance opportunities. Brandon Clark, again, was huge for the Grizzlies. He dominated in this series on the glass. Um, at times, he was the sole reason that Memphis either got back into the game 
or ended up getting a lead late in the game. And that's what it really ultimately came down to for me. Jaron Jackson Jr. was not as much of a factor as I expected him to be. Mm -hmm. Matchups, foul trouble, kind of, um, and poor shooting, you know, ended up costing him a lot of his his stats, if you will, in this series. And John Morant, even though he didn't shoot well, he came up big for them time after time, not just scoring either. Defensively, rebounding, his decision-making, he was at double-digit rebounds or assists for almost every game in this series. And they were the better team. They eventually move on. I think it's what we expected, a a high-scoring, highly entertaining series between a couple of young and inexperienced teams, and the, the better team won out. Now, the thing that I was really looking forward to going into this game was another protester. I'm not going to lie. You know, we, we talk about how the Timberwolves were undefeated in the playoffs and the play-in uh, when there was a protester on the court. This was a game in Minnesota. If I'm Minnesota, I'm thinking maybe I'm going to let a protester on the court here and maybe we can pull out another win, maybe force a game seven. We didn't see that happen. They lose. Obviously, I'm just joking here. I think it has nothing to do with whether they win or lose, but it's a good little gig we got going on here. (laughs) But it's official. The Timberwolves are going fishing. So I want to take a look here at the roster, and let's talk about how they can improve moving into next season. So first off, Carl Anthony Towns, he's locked up long term. He's got two more years left, $33 next season, $36 the year after that. D'Angelo Russell is on the last year of a big contract he signed with the Golden State Warriors in a sign-and-trade from Brooklyn, $31 million next season. Torian Prince is a $15 million expiring deal at the end of this season. You have Malik Beasley locked up for two more years. One of those years is a team option. Patrick Beverly has one more year at $13 million. He was a driving force for them this year in the playoffs and during the regular season. Then we have Anthony Edwards, obviously, This is only his second year, number one overall pick, so he's got two more years of team option. Then he becomes a restricted free agent. There's no way in hell the Minnesota Timberwolves let him walk. (laughs) Yeah. After that, we have Jared Vanderbilt. Two more years, 4.6 next year, 4.9 the year after that. Josh Okogie is expiring. Jake Lehman is expiring. Um, And then you have guys like Jaden McDaniels, Jalen Noel, uh, Nas Reed, Guys that are just kind of making two million or so uh, that are locked up, you know, for a year or two. They do have some salary cap flexibility with the expiring a Taurine Prince. Um, you know, they have some options on on guys they can move on this roster. A lot of young talent on this team. You know, the average age on this team is probably twenty four years old or so. Towns is only twenty six. Russell is only twenty six. Anthony Edwards is twenty. So, Calvin, looking at this roster, what moves should they make to go into next year, uh, you know, with hopes of advancing to the second round? Well, first of all, I think Minnesota is in a really great spot. I mean, you just highlighted what their contract situation is, that the fact that they're young, uh, their core group of players are locked up for the foreseeable future, and they've got a lot of really good either expiring or cheap deals. So there's opportunity for them to spend a little bit of money in free agency. I think what they need to to do is they need to get a better, um, more consistent bench core going. I don't expect Jaden McDaniels to stay on this bench for very long. I think Mm -hmm. he'll be a starter before uh, before the end of next year for sure. So that kind of takes his sixth man ability away from, from this team. I think they should go out and look for some more scoring off the bench. And I, I really think they should look to add some more veteran leadership on this team. I mean, Patrick Beverly is the guy for them right now. And I questioned his his leadership in certain moments of this playoff run for them. Not saying that he isn't a good person to have on this team. I think he instilled a lot of confidence in these young guys. Um, and everybody knows, you know, he came true on his promise that they would make the playoffs, right? Mm-hmm. So there's definitely some some positives to take away from his contributions to the team this year. I think they need more though. Um, This team is so young and they're so inconsistent on the big stage that they could really help. They could really use another one of those uh, veteran, um, you know, championship experience type guys in the locker room to help get them through those tough times. 
So that's really where I would start. I, they're they're in a great position. I don't think they need to do too much with this roster, given the fact that these guys should come back even better next year. I'm talking about McDaniel's, Edwards, even Towns now should have a mm-hmm. lot of motivation to come back better. And, and that's a scary thought because he's already one of the best big men in the league, especially during the regular season. The guy puts up ridiculous numbers all the time. So uh, I, I think they've got a very good foundation to build off of. I think they like their coach as well. They're going to mm-hmm. run it back with him for sure, at least for another season. So they should look for more veteran uh, leadership out there in free agency or by a trade and try to strengthen that the scoring off the bench. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. You know, a, a lot of young talent on this team. Uh, and, you know, you can't really rush the young guys, right, in their development. All you can do is help put the pieces around them, like veterans like Patrick Beverly and some of these other guys that have already been there, and help show them the path on how to get better, help them work on, you know, their their workout routines, their practice routines, make sure that every practice they get in is powerful and they move forward, they, they step forward every time. Um, they have another pick in the draft this year, number 19. I know that's not super bright because, you know, it's not a top 10 or a top five pick or anything like that. They don't have a chance at the lottery, but they made the playoffs this year. And and that's okay though. I I think picking in the late teens is actually beneficial for this team, right? Because they've got their big three. D'Angelo Russell is one guy that we didn't really talk about. That's the guy I want to talk about next. He was a big no-show in this playoffs. Yep. For Minnesota, he's got to be better if they want to continue to to improve as a team and advance further in the in the postseason. He is my biggest question mark for them this offseason. As I mentioned, he's going into the last year of his deal. They did not work out a contract extension yet. Thirty one point three million dollars. I know he made an All Star team while he was with the Brooklyn Nets. Hasn't done it since then. That's a lot of money to pay a guy that's. I think he had one good game here in the playoffs that I remember saying, wow, that was a good game by D'Angelo Russell. What do we expect from him in the next game? I know him and Towns are friends. Uh, There was, you know, rumors years ago about Towns, Russell, and Booker wanting to play together on the same team. But for me, D'Angelo Russell is the question mark. Is he bringing $31 million worth of value to this team next season? And is he going to re-sign? Is he going to re-sign at a reasonable amount? Or are we better off moving this guy for maybe veterans or maybe another young player, maybe a a higher pick in the draft? Uh, He is the biggest question mark on this team for me. Definitely. And and with the emergence of Edwards, everybody kind of thought he was going to be a really good player. I don't think people expected him to be this good this fast. So now you've got to be thinking, even though it's a couple years down the line, that's a super max extension coming oh, yeah. for sure. So do you decide to move D'Angelo Russell now so that you're planning ahead financially for when you have to give Anthony Edwards that huge deal? Yeah, and depending on how Jaden McDaniels develops yeah. as well, he's only 21 years old. He's got you know two more years on this deal. Uh, you could potentially be paying him and Anthony Edwards at the same time, which kind of clouds it uh, even more. Uh, we talked about Josh Okogie in the past and how I really you know, like what he brought to the team. He's only 23 years old. He's an expiring deal. I'm not sure if he's going to remain with this squad. Um, so there are some question marks, but they have a lot of young talent to build around. They're definitely on the up and up. But uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Definitely. Definitely some stuff to uh, uh, build off of. All right. Now we got that out meantime, of the way here. They're just ice fishing. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on here. Let's talk about the weekend recap. Really, this is the Sunday recap because we had two games. We officially got to see round two kick off. First off, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks traveled to Boston to take on the Celtics. The Bucks win this game 101-89. Another good game by Giannis Antetokounmpo. 24 points, 13 rebounds, 12 assists. Two blocks. I know he had five turnovers in this game, uh, but a great performance for him. 25 points for Drew Holiday, nine rebounds, five assists, three steals. They end up winning this game, but for me, it was more about what Boston didn't do in this game. You know, we have expected big things out of Jason Tatum, only 21 points out of him in this game, 12 points for Horford, 10 points for Marcus Smart, and only 12 points. Uh, for Jalen Brown. 
and not much bench production for the Boston Celtics. Calvin, what are your thoughts on this first game of the second round? Well, Boston got a little bit of a taste of their own medicine in this game one. The, the biggest storyline behind that Brooklyn and Boston series was how difficult Boston made it for Brooklyn to score. And you saw the exact same thing here in this game one reversed from Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a huge team with a lot of length on the front court, some really solid defensive guards in Wesley Matthews and Drew Holiday, and they present problems for this Boston team that Brooklyn just didn't have at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you saw Jason Tatum struggle to score. Jalen Brown even more so. They, the team, Boston, really struggled shooting the basketball. And, uh, you know, a lot of people thought, well, this Chris Middleton injury is, is going to be a huge problem for Milwaukee because where, where is their offense going to come from? But if they can keep these games, you know, to the low hundreds, even mid-90s, you know, a lot of people might think that that favors Boston I'm not so sure it favors either team more than the other. Um, The one thing about this Milwaukee team, even though they don't have Chris Middleton, they insert a guy like Bobby Portis in the lineup. Huge, That gives you such a huge front court, and it it definitely works for them offensively because now you're being able to draw uh, Robert Williams and Al Horford away from the basket. It it negates that Mm rim-protecting ability. And for Jason Tatum, you know, he was able to do such a great job on Kevin Durant in, in the first round. He's now going to have to deal with that same problem going up against this huge front line for Milwaukee in round two. And for the Bucks, as long as they can knock down outside shots, that gives them a huge, huge advantage in this series. Yeah, Bobby Portis has been absolutely huge in the playoffs for this Milwaukee Bucks team. I I didn't mention it here, but 15 points, 11 rebounds, uh, the hustle by this guy. He's been shooting incredible. You know, I also got to give a shout out to Grayson Allen, too. Uh, We had questions about who was going to step up from them in the guard position. Grayson Allen has been incredible for them here in this year's playoffs. So when you're a championship caliber team, you need the others to step up, right? Especially when yeah. a guy like Chris Middleton is down, and that's exactly what they've done. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't want Drew Holiday's performance, not just in this game, but all season long, to go un- not unnoticed, but without being talked about enough. He's just so important to what this team does, and he is firing on all cylinders right now. If he's if his offensive game is going and he's knocking down shots, this team is. They're the defending champs. They're, they're yep. one of the toughest teams to beat in all the league. Yeah, they're a good team. They're they're an incredible team. I know you had them going to the finals. I did not. I have them losing to Miami. Uh, we'll see what happens there. But uh, definitely a great performance by them. And, and hey, as, as NBA fans, another awesome game and series to oh, watch. Yeah. I know this game wasn't as close as a lot of Boston fans would have wanted it to be, but it's only game one, uh, you know, People make True, adjustments. They'll come back and yeah. Teams make adjustments. Yep. Uh, yep. And we'll see what happens. H- have you heard anything more about Chris Middleton? I he is still uh, listed that he's not going to return for this series. Okay. Uh, they have been. They said that before the series started, and and it doesn't seem like there's any improvements for him. So it's something to keep an eye on for sure. But and, and for Boston, this Marcus Smart injury, it's a big deal. If he misses yep. games. That's he's really just like Drew Holiday is incredibly important to what the Bucks do. Uh, Marcus Smart is very very important to what Boston does on both sides of the ball. So that's a key injury to watch going forward. Yeah, he is definitely uh, you know the vocal leader of that team, uh, kind of like what Patrick Beverly has brought to um, the Timberwolves. Although he's not the best player on the team, he is the vocal. He's the heart leader and, soul. Yeah. and the heart and soul yeah. of the team. And he's been shooting really well lately, yep. especially from three. So they, they are losing a lot, yep. not just, you know, the heart and the soul and the voice and all that stuff. They're losing a lot of actual play on the court as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's official. The reigning champs have officially stolen home court advantage. Uh, watch out, Boston. It's just one game. So, you know, we could be having the same conversation about how's Milwaukee going to recover when they go back home in game two. But yep. you, you never know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. 
They they say it's not a series until you win on the road. Yeah, and well, it's a series. They won on the road. Speaking of which, both of these games were won on the road. The second game on Sunday, we had the Golden State Warriors heading to Memphis to take on the Grizzlies. They sneak out a victory, 117-116. Draymond Green gets ejected in this game. We'll talk about that here uh-huh. in a little bit. But, uh, you know, another good performance by Steph Curry, 24 points for him, uh, only 15 for Klay Thompson, 17 for Andrew Wiggins, 31 huge points off the bench for Jordan Poole. Uh, I'm going to say that again. Jordan Poole is coming off the bench again, and he is absolutely killing it. 31 points for him, 5 of 10 from three-point range, and 12 of 20 from the field. Jaron Jackson Jr. has a huge performance, 33 points, 10 rebounds. Ja Morant, a 34-point, almost triple-double, 9 rebounds, 10 assists, 3 steals in that game. Thoughts on the game, Cal? This was a great game to watch, first of all. I'm really excited to watch the rest of this series. I think most of the games are going to be just very similar to game one. Uh, Highly contested, a lot of points, very close uh, games. What this series comes down to for me is both of these teams are actually pretty similar, especially right now because Memphis is committing to playing small. So Mm -hmm. both these teams are running out there with pretty small lineups. In fact, due to the Draymond Green ejection, Golden State finished this game with Poole, Curry, Thompson, Wiggins, and Gary Payton II. That is one hell of a small lineup out there, especially when you've got Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark playing for the Grizzlies. But what this series is going to come down to, obviously, who can make big-time plays, big-time shots? We know the Warriors are filled with those guys. The question is, do the Grizzlies have enough um, you know, big time playmakers in those situations to get wins in these one possession games. Second chance points, man. It, it mm-hmm. just conti- the Grizzlies. I mean, that's been their mo all year long, right? They're the number one rebounding team in the league all season. That's with Stephen Adams, though. Now they're playing smaller. We see it time and time again with both these teams, both in the first round and in this game. Guys like Gary Payton II being able to fly in on free throws, tip balls up, keep possessions alive. Both these teams are so good at that for playing these small lineups. They have to be good at it because they they roll with these smaller lineups. Um, And then, you know, just who's going to make enough big plays down the stretch? Jaron Jackson Jr. is a problem officially for Golden State in this series. I expect Draymond Green to be guarding him a good portion of the time. And, you know, he hopefully won't be missing too many more games due to ejections <laughs> or things like that um so th- this is going to be a great great series to watch and uh individual matchups i think are going to be really really key you saw clay thompson guarding <clears throat> brandon clark mm-hmm. down the stretch for a lot of that game one so adjustments personal individual matchups it's going to be really really key to to watch yeah we saw in the first round they purposely benched Steven Adams due to matchups, and that was with another big in Carl Anthony Towns. Now they don't really have a choice since he's out due to COVID. He could potentially return in this series, and I think he will. Do you think there's a matchup that maybe Memphis could exploit with Steven Adams' size against Golden State, or does size not work against this death lineup? Just like in round one, I don't expect Steven Adams to get very many minutes in this series because Golden State is... They're so committed to that that small lineup. They, they don't care who the other team throws out there, um, and they're really, really good at using that to their advantage. Mm-hmm. So I, I think given the previous round history, what Memphis has already adjusted to with playing smaller without Adams, playing more Brandon Clark, uh, I think that's what you're going to see going forward in this series too. Brandon Clark's been too good for them, first of all, to, to keep him on the bench. Yeah. Yeah, these close games like this, you really see the experience of the Golden State Warriors, uh, you know, trumping a team uh, like the Grizzlies who are too young, right? We've been saying all season, they're, they're, they're so young, they don't know better, right, right. right? They don't know that they're supposed to lose this game, and that's really benefited them a lot this season. But as you get into the playoffs and you're playing teams like the Golden State Warriors that – uh, have been to the finals what five times have uh you know three yeah, rings with this group <laughs> uh you know they definitely start to uh what do they say the cream rises to the top yeah 
And that's no knock on Memphis at all. They've had an incredible season, but we're talking about the Golden State Warriors with future Hall of Famers all over this roster. Right. And one of them in Andre Iguodala, who hasn't even been available for them. And and decision-making, too, uh, is going to be very, very... Uh, it's going to be huge in this series because I think yep. a lot of the games are going to be close. Uh, and, you know, people throw that championship DNA mm-hmm. term around. I, I think it might be overused in a lot of cases. But that being said, Golden State knows how to execute in these big moments. Yep. Even a guy like Jordan Poole, who doesn't have the championship experience, he's got that Warriors uh Mm-hmm. you know, style of play, and it's ingrained into your head from the moment you walk into that room. And he's been Every, practicing against these he guys. He has, he has. Yeah. Everybody will point to the fact that he had 31 huge points off the bench, but he is an excellent passer. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really, really finds guys. It's part of that system. They know how to move without the ball, and they're all looking for each other. So the fact that that's what make that's one of the things that makes the Warriors so hard to stop because you mm-hmm. think, okay, as long as we just control Steph or Clay or whoever's got the ball and stop them from taking a three, we'll be good. But they'll give they'll make two or three extra passes just so a uh, wide open guy can take the right shot. It doesn't always have to be one of these one of the big stars on this team. Jordan Poole is just the exact same as that, and he, he's shown that he can make that shot as well. Yep. So that's what makes defending them so tough. And for Memphis, the, their late-game operation seems to be pretty black and white. Get out of the way and let John Morant go full speed and get to the rim. It's worked for them a lot this mm-hmm. season. But against the Warriors, as we saw, they, they're smart. They know what's coming. So yep. ca- how is Memphis going to adjust in those situations? Yep. All right, let's talk about this Draymond Green ejection. I was surprised to learn that this is his first ever postseason ejection, which is crazy to me, thinking about how many people he's kicked in the nuts, <laughs> uh, the suspension against <coughs> Cleveland in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Because he, he definitely made contact with the face, People are talking about how it's his reputation, not the actual act. I saw an interview with him this morning saying, you know, he's not going to stop playing like he plays because he's won three championships. He's got four, you know, all-star appearances, a defensive player of the year award. Uh, That's what's gotten him this far. And and I totally agree with him. But on this call, was it the right call or no? I I don't think it was. I would have been okay with a flagrant one Mm -hmm. foul. To throw somebody out of the game, you know, midway into the second quarter for that play, it didn't look great. I yeah. give him that. And, you know, certainly if you're Brandon Clark, then you're going to feel uh, some type of way about it. That, that being said, this was not a flagrant two foul. It, it was a hard foul, yes. And was there a wind-up, all that stuff? You, you know, that that's where it really gets hard to determine because by the letter of the law, just like you heard when the ref gave his explanation of it, yep. yeah, I it makes sense. But from a common sense standpoint or just a basketball standpoint, if you're watching this in live time, I don't see how your first reaction could be, oh, that's a flagrant two, he's out of the game. Yeah, I, I was very surprised that he was ejected from this game. I think that that foul did not warrant an ejection. However, at the same time, his reputation, right? Not saying that that's what they used in making that determination, but reputation, especially in today's society, is everything. And when you've developed the reputation of being a guy that hits people, uh, that does whatever it takes to win, even if it's not allowed in the rule book, you know, that follows you. And, you know, I, I feel for Draymond because I think he only played 17 minutes in this game. And that happens, unfortunately. But you got to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, what kind of reputation have I created for myself to allow things like this to spiral like this? Because reputation is important. And, you know, yes, you are a winner and you play hard and you defend your teammates and, and all this stuff. But at the same time, like this is a game. This is a sport. You're playing with other professionals. You know, you don't want to hurt somebody else. Imagine if, if you end up, uh, you know, hitting this guy in the face like what happened to Embiid 
and, and breaking his uh, orbital bone and he misses the rest of the series. You're out for one game and the other dude's out for like five games, four games, depending on how long it takes. I understand both both sides. I don't think he deserved to get ejected for this foul, but I get it. I understand. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I did not see any intent to hurt Brandon Clark on that play. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, I didn't yes, he, either. He got hit in the face, and to your point, you sure he could have missed. He could have broken a bone in his face and missed time, but it, injuries happen. That that's part of the game. How many people has he kicked in the nuts? You remember when that streak was going? That was like yeah. one playoff run. He kicked like three people in the nuts. All right, that that might be true, but I'm not talking about any of those plays. We I say the seen same him thing do about, that in a long time. We say the same thing about Grayson Allen though, when he fouls somebody, right? That's it's, true. It's the reputation. Chris Paul kicked uh, who was it? Jose Alvarado in, in the midsection. Yep. On a jump shot. Yep. Why didn't he get suspended or ejected from the game? Reputation. Yeah. See, that's a problem. It helps you and it hurts you. It helps you and it hurts you. But from a, a referee standpoint, you you have to take, you have to find a way to take that stuff out of, yeah. of your head. I, I just don't. If you're going to officiate a game, any game, especially a playoff game, you have to look at it with the most neutral. That that's your job to officiate the game neutrally. But it's, so now all you've got all these people saying the NBA is rigged because. Draymond Green was ejected when he shouldn't have been. They've been saying that for a long time. I, I understand that, but that's part of my problem here. If you're an official, you have to referee the game completely neutral. You're judge, jury, and executioner <clears throat> when you're the referee of a, of a playoff game, right? Yeah. If you're a judge and somebody you know comes to your courtroom and they have a past history of things, you take that into account, right? Yes. He's not on trial, though. That's the difference. I'm just here. saying, <laughs> I, I get it from both perspectives. I, I'm not choosing no, either I, side. I see I'm just what saying you're I saying. And, and trust me, Draymond has done himself a lot of harm in the past, personally, yeah. by the, what the things that he's said, his actions on the court, all that stuff. And do I feel for officials who get berated by fans and players nonstop throughout the course of a game? Yes, of course I do. However, when you sign up to take that job, that comes with the territory. Yeah. You have to understand that going into it. And if you can't officiate a game with a clean head and a neutral look, you shouldn't be officiating that game. Yeah. that's It's plain and simple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you and I have both been referees, so we know what it's like to uh, take some abuse from uh, parents, fans, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's players. It's not fun. It's not it's fun not at all. It's not fun at all. And, you know, repeat offenders for me that's something that the league needs to look at not the referee i, I agree with you but at, at the same time like the way these rules are written now because they're trying to eliminate all these things they don't want people getting injured they don't want their star players missing games yeah, of course they want highlight dunks they want threes they want exciting things for fans to watch so they write these rules and the referee has to follow the rule and I don't think that deserved to get an ejection. Five years ago, it wouldn't have been an ejection. Uh, Ten years ago, it wouldn't have been an ejection. Twenty years ago, it wouldn't have been a foul. Yeah. Well, and that's the problem with flagrant fouls, right? It's that yep. they have all this language written into what a flagrant foul is, and you're supposed to be able to determine it based on the letter of the law, right? Mm -hmm. But the problem with what's written into the letter of the law for a flagrant foul is the word intent. Yep. There is, that's a really, really hard thing to determine for a human being in a live game situation like that. And that's where reputation comes in. Yeah, yeah, you're because right. Because that dictates intent. Still, at the or end of the day, to. though, this, I, I don't think there are many people that believed this was yep. a flagrant two foul. I think we so. both agree that was not the right call. However, the referees followed the rules, as they said. And the biggest thing out of this is. This was Memphis's opportunity. This yeah. is the game they yeah. could have stolen, and not even stolen because this yeah, was a home, home. game, <laughs> and and they're you know had the better record in the series. But this was a huge miss. Oh, absolutely, Jaron Jackson Jr. by far and away the best game of the postseason for him yeah. so far, and they still end up losing. Clay Thompson misses two free throws. Yeah, with four seconds left, ninety plus six percent seconds left, free whatever. throw shooter. Yeah, I mean. And you just can't write that. Stuff. The Warriors have like the top three free throw shooters in the NBA. 
yeah. in Jordan Poole, Clay Thompson, and Steph Curry. It's really yep. incredible. And that's what helps them win games. Unfortunately, you missed them in this game, but they still won. They yeah. they, they got well, away with the one-point lead. It goes both and, ways, right? Like yeah. that, uh, that should have been Warriors basketball after that second missed free throw. Yep. Neither team has a challenge, so they go to a jump ball, and Memphis get, wins the jump. So yep. it, it, it goes both ways. It was an exciting game nonetheless, and uh, we will see what happens on Tuesday for game two. Um, are you still rocking with Milwaukee and Golden State in these series? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. All right. Let's move on here to today's games. We have two exciting games today. The first one starts here in about 45 minutes. And, Calvin, they finally listen to me. These games are at different times on different channels. Or, sorry, on the same channel. There isn't a third game today. So I'm going to be able to watch both of these games, which I'm really excited. Both these games live. Yeah. First off, we have Philadelphia without Joel Embiid is heading to Miami to play the Heat, potentially without Jimmy Butler and a bunch of other injuries to that team. Uh, let me just dive in here and, and see what the what the odds are on this. We have Miami favored by seven and a half in this game. Uh, what are your thoughts? Kyle Lowry is also out for Miami. Seven and a half is a lot for how many people are on this injury report for Miami. I mean, like I said, I expect probably half these guys to play. Um, Jimmy Butler I'm really not sure about. That I think is going to be the big question mark. Um, but we've seen already in the past from Miami, they they are deep, they're complete, um, and they're ready for these guys to step up like Victor Oladipo yep. if all these guys are going to miss time. Um, the, the bigger question to me is Philadelphia. I mean, Joel Embiid, highest usage percentage in the league of anybody this season. He is everything for what they do offensively and defensively. If he's not able to go, <clears throat> a lot more pressure is now yeah. on James Harden's shoulders, as they, we already know. Traded Drummond. I think they got, what, DeAndre Jordan yeah. is the backup yeah, center? They, have, they do have DeAndre Jordan. Um, I, I look at Bam Adebayo as this is your time to feast right now. I think it's 18.5 points is over-under for him tonight. Yeah, I, I expect him to have a big game. If Embiid is, well, we know Embiid is not going to play. So I expect Bam to have a big, big time game. And, uh, you know, it's going to come down to three-point shooting, I think. Miami, one of the best teams in the league all year long. Philadelphia, when they're able to hit from outside Mm -hmm. with guys like Maxie and Tobias Harris and Harden and all these guys, um, they're a much more difficult team. But I I trust Miami to make big plays defensively. I don't trust without Embiid to anchor that defense guys like Harden to stop people on the perimeter until he shows it to me. So I think it comes down to three-point shooting and, you know, how big is Philadelphia's bench going to be? They don't have a lot of offense coming off that bench right now. And Miami just comes in with hockey line substitution waves Mm -hmm. of people that can both score and defend. It's going to be a real uphill battle for Miami. I, I expect them you to mean go for back Philadelphia. To, I'm sorry, for Philadelphia. Yeah. Thank you. I expect the Sixers going back home down 0-2. Wow. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree. I, I think, you know, Miami's at home, which is always an advantage. I, I think uh, coaching-wise, Miami has an advantage. System-wise, Miami has an advantage. Uh, Philadelphia has a lot of talent on that team, but as you mentioned, the usage rate for Joel Embiid is absolutely huge. He is the driving force on that team. I don't have the record in front of me right now, but I'd imagine their record this season without Joel Embiid is not good. Um, yeah, well, keep in mind, they didn't have Harden for probably yeah, a few of those yeah, games. Ben Simmons wasn't playing also, so it, it's a little skewed. But I think Harden and Maxie can, could, could combine for 60 points in this game, and they still lose this game. Wow. I think that the key for this game for Philadelphia is going to be Tobias Harris. Yeah, I think you need Harden and you need Maxi to do their thing, and Tobias Harris has to be the third guy to step up. If one of those three guys does not perform well tonight, they easily lose this game. Easily. Yep, and you know, Maxi I think is a really big key for me as well in this series. 
the, these guys found it easy to score a lot of times against the Hawks. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, we saw Maxi have 38 in game one. He looked unstoppable. It's not going to be that easy to score against Miami. So are they going to be able to make enough stops defensively without Embiid? And can they put up enough points? It's, I think this series is a lot more one-sided than people might make it out to be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, we talked about the things that Philadelphia is going to face this offseason as far as player personnel and questions like that. They have a ton of money uh, just allocated to uh, Tobias Harris, James Harden, and Embiid. What are they going to do to improve? Uh, I'm sure we'll be talking about that here in a week or two when they go (laughs) fishing. Uh, So moving on to the second game of the day, we have Dallas heading to Phoenix to take on the Suns. The Suns are favored by six in this game. Both of these teams dealt with injuries in the first round, one to Devin Booker and one to Luka Doncic. Both teams survive and move on to round two. Uh, This is going to be an interesting series, Calvin, but I want to hear your thoughts. I think Dallas is in trouble. Uh, I really do, and and the reason I say that is because of two people, DeAndre Ayton and JaVale McGee. We already heard Jason Kidd say it going into this series. This is not the same as playing Rudy Gobert and Hassan Whiteside because these guys can actually manufacture points and offense themselves. They don't have to rely on Chris Paul. I mean, McGee, uh, not as much as Ayton, but DeAndre Ayton should absolutely dominate this series. And then you take into account that they've still got Chris Paul and Devin Booker out there. Yeah, I, I just don't. I'm sorry, Mike, but it, it's going to be awfully difficult for your Mavs. Hey, the Mavs proved me round, wrong in the first round, so you know they could do it again. But if both teams remain healthy, I'm taking Phoenix. I, I mean, I took Phoenix to win the title this year, so I, I'm sticking with that. But you mentioned, you know, Aiton is going to have a huge advantage in the post. And then Chris Paul, like who is going to stop Chris Paul in this game? Um, and then, yeah, Devin Booker is back. He's healthy. He said he's yeah. ready to go. Uh, Luka is going to have to step up and play some real defense in this series. And, and on the perimeter, he's just not that good right now, yeah. in my opinion, uh, because he's going to be matched up on one of these guys. I mean, maybe they – for periods of time they take him off Booker they put him on somebody like Mikhail Bridges instead but Mm -hmm. I I mean Mikhail Bridges is a much improved offensive player also yep if that's the case uh, whoever Doncic is guarding that's who I'm going at if I'm Phoenix without you know first trying to get eight in the ball inside on a good post up if you're Dallas you're going to keep doing what you've been doing all year long and that's spread the court wide open how the question is how many threes are they going to be able to knock down? They're going to have to hit a ton of them in this series. Yeah, and you know Doncic, you know what you're going to get out of him. You need the other guys to step up, and you honestly just need to hope that Phoenix is is out of rhythm here. Um, maybe be physical with them, but if you just were to like measure the talent on these teams, Phoenix is is way higher to me on that list, and the fact that they made it to the finals last year. They probably still have that taste in their mouth of losing to the Bucks. Uh, Dallas is nowhere near the caliber of the Milwaukee Bucks, so uh, I see Phoenix winning this series in five games. Yeah, I would probably have to agree with that. Expect to see um, Dallas try to mix things up and play some zone in this series as well, because I think that's the only way they're really going to be able to to. Um, match the or or play against the size inside from phoenix so are we both taking home teams today huh yeah i like uh philadelphia to cover the spread today okay i want to throw that out there but i think miami is going to win and i take phoenix to the bank also i did want to give another shout out to dallas i know i talked about it last week but first playoff series win in 11 years since they won the title that's amazing. Uh, you know, yeah, Jason Kidd was a player on that team, and now he's a coach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild. That is pretty crazy. <laughs> that is pretty crazy. And shout-out to all my Kings fans out there, too. You know, we haven't made the playoffs for so long. Look at a team like Dallas that we think is such an amazing team. They haven't won a playoff series now, or it took them 11 years to do it. So it, they, it's not they as were easy. were in the playoffs. Though, yeah, but I'm just saying it's that. not as easy as, yeah. as many people think. Oh, we just yeah. build. We make the playoffs. Then we, you know... It's tougher than it looks. It really is. 
All right, Calvin, let's open up the show here to Q&A. I know Flame Flurry 11 is excited, and I have a feeling I already know what his first question is, Calvin, so <laughs> I'm going to pose it to you. Victor Oladipo has been mentioned this week to have interest in be eyeing the Sacramento Kings in the offseason. We know he played with Sabonis in uh, Indiana. Yeah. Let's hear your thoughts. I think it's a great move if you're Sacramento. I think it's a great move for a lot of teams. I mean, I talked about Atlanta when they got eliminated being a team that might want to look at Victor Oladipo. This is a guy that you're probably going to be able to get for a really good deal. I mean, it might even be a minimum deal uh, just because of his injury past and he's still you know, working his way back to the league. But if you're the Sacramento Kings... How could you not want to take a flyer on this guy? Sure, injury past might have you a little bit worried, but I think it's a there's huge upside here. I mean, first of all, we talk so much on our other channel, Royal Rebounds, about how the Kings need to become, become better defensively. This guy, when he's healthy, is a great two-way player and a really good on-ball defender. Mm -hmm. So that takes care of that, first and foremost. He also has shown over the years that he's got a great offensive game as well and, and can really score. So you're, you're potentially getting a, a major uh, starting shooting guard for a veteran's minimum deal here, which would be a huge, huge home run. I think it'd probably cost more than a veteran's minimum to get him, but yes, I, I we'll agree. We'll see. It, it there was be. a report from an anonymous GM that said it's probably no nobody is really willing to spend a lot of money on this guy right now. Okay. So I, I think you might be able to get him for a lot cheaper than you think. Okay. And he turns 30 years old two days from now on May the 4th. Be with you. Be with you. All right, any other questions before we end the show here? We appreciate you all for watching. Uh, once again, we do apologize. We weren't available on Friday, uh, but we will be back again tomorrow, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be here Monday through Friday. We're also going to be live on Royal Rebounds again on Thursday, uh, talking about the Kings narrowing down their coaching search uh, surrounding a guy like Mark Jackson. We'll talk a little bit more about the Victor Oladipo news and uh, just any other Kings news. Anything else you want to mention, Calvin, in today's show? Anything else that's going around in the NBA that you uh, you find exciting? Or uh, No, I mean, it's all about playoff basketball for me right now. So just glad to be back doing the show. And, you know, we got some fun games to watch today. Yeah, we have some exciting basketball going on here, which is, I'm just so happy. You know, this is the whole reason they play the whole season long, right? Like, as a Kings fan, I'm disappointed the Kings are not in the playoffs, but it doesn't mean I'm not watching. Like, there's a lot of good basketball players, a lot of good teams, and this is the best time of year for basketball. It, it is. really is. It really is. All right, guys, we're going to shut down the bar here. Make sure you guys close out your tabs. Thank you for watching. Uh, we'll see you all tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget to tip your bartender.